0: And yes, yes, that is, that is the music. It means it means the resort is back. Welcome back to the Lars Resort, still brought to you by Beton, still with me, Lars Evelson. Uh, sadly, yet again, I'm starting an episode by apologizing for the length of time since the previous episode. This has become an unfortunate tradition on the resort. Uh, but, but yeah, I, 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 ho- I hope we're at the end of that stuff now. I've, I've, I've had some personal stuff going on. Uh, I've also been a little bit, uh, what's the word? I don't want to say burned out, because that sounds very serious, and I've definitely not been that, but it was more, I think I was more drained from writing the book and all of that than I initially sort of appreciated. So I've just kind of tapped the brakes a little bit these last couple of weeks, you know, preemptively. Uh, I've learned that about mental health. You have to, like, treat, you can look at mental health sometimes as as not like a leg that's either broken or intact it's more like you can have the mental health equivalent of a cold and then if you catch it in time and look after yourself a bit then it doesn't have to get worse uh, and that's sort of kind of what i've done to myself the last couple of weeks to just kind of ease off a little bit before my batteries are entirely drained and uh, that is part of why there hasn't been a lot of pods uh, but i think we're back on track now uh, w- w- which is good um, and i haven't been completely idle i've done things like i've recorded the audiobook uh, for the book I've recorded the if you want if you're a big fan of audiobooks and and hopefully you don't find my voice uh, entirely awful to listen to if you do then well then this podcast was a terrible idea wasn't it but you know if if you if you're alright with listening to me speak uh, I do recommend the audiobook version of Holland uh, when it which, which will be out soon enough as well I quite re- enjoyed recording it also enjoyed finding little typos in the script while recording it. So there was a the last round of proofreading. I think we got most of them now. Uh, but yeah, uh, exciting uh, stuff. As for this part, I've yet again uh, enlisted the help of my good friend Peter to help me be... I have watched all the football. Like I'm less frazzled than the last time we had Peter on when, when Pedro had to take the wheel. Uh, but but I, I still would like some help. So I'm going to get our dear, dear friend Peter Wilton, the most sensible American Man United fan in the world and also a, a very excellent uh, broadcaster to come on the pod. Uh, welcome aboard to the result, resort. Welcome aboard to the resort. Yet again, Peter, this is why we need you. I can't pronounce simple words. Hello, Peter. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Lars. And I would suggest that if they don't like the
1: sound of your voice and they uh, object to... Hearing a goofy American talk football, this is really a bad choice for a podcast today. Mm, mm,
0: yeah, because we'll have that. We'll, we, it was a huge mistake to play if these are components that you're not happy with. But maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe you've given us the benefit of the doubt so far, and we can talk you through. We can, we can convince you that this is actually fine. So we are uh, charming, entertaining, and
1: we both have awesome voices. That's what I
0: think of yeah. ours. Yeah, this is why we get Americans on because you say things like that with a straight face. I'm too. I mean, I'm a Norwegian person who's lived in England for so long. Like, I'm I'm completely incapable of saying positive things about myself. It just doesn't like mechanically. I can't do it. But uh, let's let's have you as the hype man to say nice things about us. And and let's let's crack on. What did you make of the weekends of football, Peter? Did you enjoy it? Did you watch much of us? Did you watch all of this? Are you, I know you tend to watch all of us? I watched a lot of it. And it. Um,
1: I, th- I think the answer to that question is, is that I think in, by and large, it was a pretty mid tier level weekend of football mm. that uh started off with a lot of promise. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that does make sense. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Would you agree with me? I mean, we had that giant game between yeah. City and Arsenal. Uh, we had the Brighton Liverpool game. There were some other games in there that, you know, the idea of Spurs playing at Luton just, I thought, sounded really cool. Um, and all of those games just kind of, uh, you know. It uh, here's the deal. It came down to Scott McTominay being the hero that <laughs> Manchester United fans didn't want, but is the hero Manchester United fans deserved. And he was the one that kind of rescued the weekend in terms of fun.
0: Yeah, We can start there, though. We can we can actually downgrade Arsenal beating City, not because I'm not excited about the prospect of a title race, but just because it was a really boring game. It was a momentous game for the season and we will talk about it but it was also kind of boring uh, so so let's go to united first because i am fascinated by this manchester united team i'm fascinated by the situation they're in i feel like this game no no lessons have been learned no problems have been solved but they did get 3 points uh, against a potentially nasty opponent in brentford who are much more difficult to play against than i think still they get credit for and which means the sort of the doom spiral has been halted for a couple of weeks at least. And I think that was really important. It was incredibly important that they got... I, it was funny because as we
1: were, you know, once Onana uh, had let the goal in and it was one nothing, and you just thought, oh no, this is, this is going to happen. And then you realize, oh no, we don't need United to score one goal. United needs to score at least two and win this. Getting a draw against Brentford at home in the midst of all this drama isn't helping the situation. This it would be a bad result. So to get two seemed improbable. Uh to get two from Scott McDonough of all people seemed was never even on the uh, in the cards at all. But uh it it was a it was a a result that they have to figure out if they can turn this into some sort of sort of launching pad. Yeah. But, man, there are so many problems and and so many broken pieces to this thing. And I can't believe I'm saying this, although maybe it was obvious from the, uh, you know, dating back to last season. Casemiro is a real problem for Ten Hag right now.
0: Yeah, because it's not getting better, is it? I just assumed initially the first couple oh. of games back that he was uh, he had the summer bod. He'd been to the churrascaria You know, he's going to run this off. It's going to maybe the preseason didn't go so well. I don't know. But it kind of isn't getting better. And the trouble with it is, if this is what he is now, <laughs> which isn't great, you, you're still you're still on the hook for a pretty long contract at a pretty wild salary, according to reports. And and, and that that's a that's a really sort of iffy situation for them to be in.
1: I, I came up with this theory, Lars, and because I think you probably know this player or his history better than I do, um, tell me if this jives. Is it possible that Casemiro is treating this tenure at United as his opportunity to live out some sort of attacking dream that he was never
0: allowed to do <laughs> at Madrid? It does look like he's gone full YOLO, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's weird because am I not correct in saying he has like scored way more goals for Manchester United in an incredibly small amount of time than he ever scored for Madrid because he was kind of like he wasn't allowed to do anything more than just kind of destruct and destroy. And now he f- seems to take, uh, liberties at, at kind of run, at doing attacking things and just kind of foregoing all of his defensive responsibilities, especially this season. And that I watching midfielder, watching people run past him and mar- not mark midfielders or miss easy passes just all is very frustrating.
0: Yeah. This is not what you buy. Uh... A thirty-year-old sort of elite-level holding midfielder who's won everything everywhere. Like, there's just so many basic mistakes being made, and the sort of the decline in his physical capacity is is really really worrying uh, for for Man United. And the the Man United broken midfield. I mean, I don't know if it's even worth talking about it anymore, but it, it is still a thing. We we had Amrabat coming into midfield in this game. I kind of was hoping that that would solve. A lot of stuff, and I guess they were a little bit less dysfunctional in that area of the field than they have been previously. I mean they did at least dominate possession. they did create some 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 chances, but i didn 't feel like this was like a a fluid and flowing and positive man united performance all in all
1: no and and again, you know they were uh, starting with four guys in the back line that were never meant to be starters, two of which were the starting center backs for Leicester and it feels like a generation ago so mm clearly if that is the starting point in which you're building your defense, that's going to be a problem to begin with. But I I do think the problems kind of just go, uh, line up from there. And it's going to take 10 hog a lot to, uh, to figure this out. He's going to need to get people healthy. He's going to get a lot of people just to get their head right with the, uh, football. And, um, I I don't know, man, it it just doesn't feel like this season it's very early in the season, but so far, I'm just—I don't have a ton of hopes that this is going to get much better. In fact, I it may get worse before it gets better. To be honest
0: with you, that's possible. But okay, let's look on the sort of the the, the potential flip side here is that Highland looks good. I, th- I think the, the looks exciting up front. You know, he's he's energetic. He, he can run. He's got a bit of strength. I, I, I think he's. I think that looks like a pretty good. You know, uh, not the finished deal at all, but I think a good bet to take up front that he could turn into an absolutely, you know, top-class striker. You are getting people healthy uh, again gradually. That will happen. It is possible that sort of maybe adding Amrabat to that midfield will cover some of Casemiro's shortcomings. You know, they are basically playing the sort of structure that we've been talking about that we want. That you mentioned that you just give Fernandez kind of a vaguely defined wide right role because he's going to run around like a lunatic, whatever, whatever happens. And then Amrabat and the customer in midfield and then Mount, I, I can see this working. I mean, it's a concern that Rashford is looking out of sorts. I mean, you, you do need a good Rashford for this United team to play well, I think. Yeah. I, he's just going to have to get some guys to start playing with some confidence.
1: And maybe that means sitting some people like Anana and Rashford for a period of time, Because when uh, Garnacho comes on, that kid plays with a lot of positivity and a lot of confidence, and that feels like uh, an upgrade to a degree uh, for me, at least in the small amounts of time we see him play. Now, whether or not he's capable of pulling it off as a starting player uh, is to be seen, but it's just another frustrating season, Lars. I'm I'm, as I you know how I feel.
0: It is looking that way. No, if, since you mentioned the sort of the unmentionable, the prospect of maybe taking Onana out of the firing line a little bit, because it, it just isn't going well for him. And because he seems like quite a conscientious guy, which makes me slightly more worried about how he's he's dealing with this sort of uh, adversity now and these chances Uh Sometimes these, sometimes being an overconfident lunatic is useful for a footballer because yeah, it's because the adversity kind of brushes <laughs> off you a little bit. Whereas Onana seems like a really nice guy, and I'm not sure that's helpful right now. Uh, where, but, but they do have this uh, reserve goalkeeper they signed that I had almost forgotten about uh, Altay uh, Bayindir, which is almost certainly not the yeah. right pronunciation, and, and who is not some random guy. Like he's a 25 year old Turkish international who's uh, played in goal for over 100 games for Fenerbahce. He's got six caps for Turkey. So he's actually quite a serious guy. I think he's played three or four seasons as the first choice for Fenerbahce. So he is someone you could probably throw in and it's not like a total it's not some dude from the from from the under 21s or some uh, some very old Rob Green character or something like that. Like th- th- there's a serious customer there uh, who could maybe take some games in goal just to just uh take onana out of the firing line i mean that that might be might be a something for them to do but i still think i come back on this and i do apologize if i've said it on the pod before but with ten Hag, there's this sense that he's always had to fight fires like he hasn't a chance to grow his garden because part parts of the garden has always been on fire Uh, if he can get people fit now so he has all the components and they can have a couple of weeks of playing together maybe we can start to see those sort of patterns and the connections between them that we were expecting to see. At the same time, other coaches struggle with injuries. Other coaches have various bits of adversity to deal with, and a lot of them do manage to put more of an imprint on their teams than than I feel like Ten Hag has done now, because it's just There isn't a lot of progress to see right now.
1: No, there's not. And just to kind of put this into perspective, when they get back from the uh, international break, while they get to start off against Sheffield, um, they have the City game immediately after.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. And then they have a a pretty interesting run. Like, uh, look, the City game on the 29th is... um, uh, could be ugly, but that is bracketed by the away game at Sheffield, and then away at Fulham, then a home game against Luton, and then away at Everton before they have Newcastle at the beginning of de- uh, beginning of December. So, yeah, November feels like an opportunity for him to, uh, you know, figure out how to put this thing and get it in a good vibe before they run into run into the Christmas break.
0: And, and also, you say the City game could be ugly. Of course, it could, but. United do have this kind of weird history of just when they're in a bit of a funk and they play Man City and we think, oh God, it's going to be 7-0, that they actually put in pretty decent performances. I do wonder if it's because in the last sort of few years, they've often been quite sort of geared towards counterattacking. And that kind of suits against the Pep Guardiola City. But it has happened more than once that when we're expecting them to get a real hiding by City, they actually turn up and, and get something.
1: Yeah, and I do. I mean, I, I'm i a big believer that a, a big byproduct of, of what we've been seeing this year is Ten Hag really trying to institute his uh, structure and his, his tactics and style, which gets them away from the thing that the one thing they were kind of good at, which is, you know, counterattacking. Uh, at pace. Mm. So this is a lot more patient and thoughtful. And, and and I think that's just part of the growing pains of this. I guess the question becomes, I'm assuming, and I'm hoping that there's a, a lot of patience and willingness to just kind of like see this out and not make any rash decisions when it comes to uh, the hot seat for 10 hog. And if, if he just becomes one of those guys who starts rocketing up the, the betting lines on uh, odds of him losing his gig, if things don't continue not to go well.
0: Well, I just think there kind of has to be a lot of patience with him because he has clearly had a pretty huge influence on which players have been brought. I think United have done this thing again of letting the coach pick the players to a huge degree. Which does mean that if you suddenly sack him now and you get someone who has a completely different philosophy and wants completely different things, so they're like, oh, my God, we're doing this again. So, I mean, that, I, I feel like that almost buys him more time and buys him more, uh, yeah, more uh, internal uh, sort of PowerPoints, if that's the phrase we can use. That would be the logical
1: thing, Lars, but this is also Manchester United. And you just have, you know, all bets are off on making smart decisions when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah,
0: um, T-I-M-U, but uh, a a brave performance by Brentford. We should mention, like just mention the game itself very quickly, Scott McTominay, sauce, turning up with the goods, Uh, which I think is a little bit interesting because I've always had this sneaky feeling that McTominay has been miscast a little bit. I think because he's he's kind of tall and muscular and he works hard. A lot of people are. He's a defensive midfielder, defensive midfielder. But, But actually... I think sort of defensive midfielders for a top team, you know, ball circulation is hugely important and he's not the most amazing sort of distributor of possession, but he has a lot of power and he makes these runs into the box. And I guess maybe we've almost seen that more for Scotland than for Manchester United, but he does have a knack for making these sort of moves, these runs into the box and he's a threat in the air and he can finish. So I think maybe it would be interesting to see McTominay get a stretch of, of game time. Probably won't happen at United. It's hard to imagine. But as more of a box-to-box midfielder and someone who is meant to go forward and is meant to to make those runs into the area.
1: Yeah, that's uh, and it makes me wonder, is there any thinking on Ten Hogg's part that maybe Casemiro's another guy that needs to take a seat for a while? And maybe Amrabat can play that more defensive position and McTominay can play more of that box-to-box position. I, I, I mean, that may sound ridiculous and wild, but... Just based on performances, and just kind of running with a guy that maybe has a bit of fire lit underneath him now, and an opportunity, uh, especially you know, I don't know, I just maybe it's time to think a little crazy and and do some things out of the norm and sit some people who haven't been performing of late, and let some other people get an opportunity. Yeah, you, you know, yeah, know, no, I mean, I mean, so I mean,
0: we'll close. get we'll get to it, but it's one of the sort of if you look at why or, or the reasons or the things that have been successful for Tottenham so far under Ange Postacoglu. Kostakoglu seems to be quite, and I think he's spoken about this, I wish I'd had time to find the quote, but he said something about when it comes to the physical side of it, he's pretty uncompromising. Like he he requires a certain level of fitness and he wants a certain level of mobility in his players, right? So he looks at uh, someone Mm -hmm. like Sar in midfield, who's not an amazing player and he's not the finished article, but boy, the guy gets around the field, you know, he's got some legs on him, the guy can run. And he looks at him and he looks like Hojbjerg, he looks at Hojbjerg who's more experienced and in some ways, possibly a better football. And he says, "No, I want the guy who can move." Uh, and, and and I think with Ansh uh, Postakoglu would probably not have a lot of time for Casemiro. I don't think not the, the current version of Casemiro, anyway.
1: Uh, yeah, I think in terms of uh, Manchester United, they are what they are at this particular point. That chart that I sent you earlier today, that kind of plotted out um, in, in a in a quad zone of how all the different. Premier League teams are performing in chance creations versus chances conceded, and United literally sit almost in the middle of all of that. Yeah, Uh, And I feel like that's a pretty fair representation of where they're at at this uh, this particular point.
0: Yeah, Uh, which is not where they were hoping to be. Let's go on to, at this point, having spoken this much about Man United, who had like a jammy win against Brentford, on the weekend that Arsenal beat actual Manchester City is... It's verging on a diss at this point. We definitely need to pivot to the Arsenal-Man City game, even if it wasn't a super fun game of football. But it is a momentous result. Wait, Lars, uh, before in the, you do the that, you, of the, se- the will, season,
1: will you will you promise to ex- uh, tell me what "jammy" means at some point? I feel like a jammy <laughs> American. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that
0: well, that's kind of um, that's a sort of British slang thing for something being uh, lucky. Uh, okay. Being, you know, yeah, essentially. I'm gonna add that to uh, my, so uh, so that's vernacular. Yeah, well, this is this is how we're learning. I mean, I, I learned <laughs> last year. I learned from you what a trucking was, that's right. and what it means to get pantsed. <laughs> you know, this is great sort of cultural uh, cultural exchange. exchange between our yeah between our different sides of the yeah. Um, no one got trucked or pantsed in this game uh, between Arsenal and Man City. I didn't think. I said on a different podcast earlier today that this game had big Jorginho energy. <laughs> it did. It was a, it, from both teams, there was a lot of like, yeah, the ball was passed around a lot, but not a lot of exciting things happened. So this was the this was the this game was Jorginho uh, writ large. I felt. It was interesting that there were
1: two uh, at one point not too long ago, very important Chelsea midfielders playing
0: one for each team in this game. I thought that was kind of weird. It's kind of yeah weird how that works out. Absolutely, yeah. But 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 what a I mean, let's all of that aside. Like what a win this is for Arsenal. Like it's it's a huge moment in their season, and there are loads of things we can talk about about why City are not good right now. But it is a big deal for Arsenal to get this result.
1: It, you know, I I knew that the amount of time and the number of games it had been in the league since Arsenal had beaten City <laughs> was substantial. I had, I had totally forgotten it was 2015. Mm-hmm. And that just seems like improbably a long time ago. So, yeah, that is a huge... Uh, monkey off the back for Arteta and Arsenal to have gotten this win. No matter how it happened, no matter how mm. it went down, how good or bad the game was overall, it is a huge result for Arsenal, and and really the opportunity to lift off and go from here is is big for them.
0: I th- I think so, and I think what was what was significant was that actually the goal. It's a little bit lucky. It's a shot that comes out off of Nathan Ake's face. Okay. But, but all four substitutes were involved in the move, which I think is not insignificant because it's one of the things we looked at with Arsenal. Why did their title bid falter the way it did uh, last season? Lack of depth, I think most people would see, was, was one of the issues. And here we've got four guys coming off the bench all having an, an involvement in the match-winning goal. And uh, yeah, you, you almost felt the, the guys who came off the bench for Arsenal strengthened that team more than the guys that came off the bench for City did, no?
1: yes and and that and maybe that's a reflection of the fact that city um has a lot of new parts this year um, mm-hmm. you know when we talk about the assumption that city like everybody was was just gonna walk this season and have been playing so well. We do sometimes i think tend to forget that this is a team that has you know lost one of its best players in Gunduan. Um, has an injury to De Bruyne? Has Rodri's been suspended? And when you start making all of those changes, no matter how deep your team is, when you're playing the best teams in the league, that's probably going to reveal itself in some way. And I, and I think part of that was on display <laughs> yesterday.
0: No, to- I, I totally agree. I mean, you've basically taken out the midfield. The treble-winning midfield is no longer there. And I would add to that: he's been out for a little while now. But but John Stones isn't playing either. And that that was the big sort yeah, of tactical, yeah, the big tactical revelation last season. You know, how will we make uh, Man City work with Alling Holland up front? You know, he's not going to drop into midfield and be an extra midfielder. So Pep's going to have to think and and think of a plan. And the big sort of galaxy brain genius thing that Pep did last season was just turn stones into this hybrid midfielder and he hasn't been around so you haven't had that so this is a very very different team they've kind of made it work so far roughly in the league with the sort of hall and alvarez link up that's been quite fun but in the last couple of games they're just i mean against newcastle in the league cup i know there was a bit of rotation going on but they were poor and and they weren't that great against wolves either and, and they got there eventually against Leipzig and they were pretty dominant. But there is, they're a little bit off at the moment, uh, Manchester City. It's not quite working. And of course, there's no doubt uh, a midfield of Kovacic, Bernardo Silva and Lewis, is not the same as Gundogan, Rodri and Kevin De Bruyne. It just isn't. When was the last time City lost three in a row? Oh, These are the kind of numbers I don't have off the top of my head, uh, but no, it, it, the point stands. Anyway, it's not something that happens very often. No, it just, it it dawned on me because they did lose that cup uh, game
1: to Newcastle. I realized it's three yeah. in a row now, and I guess those are all the Rodri games, so maybe Rodri's like the
0: most important player in all of this, but... I don't know i think he is very important he i think is, the yeah. job he does both shielding the defense and setting the tempo of possession i think is an incredibly difficult job to do i think it's one of like being the number six in the pep guardiola systems is one of the most specialized and difficult jobs in in, in club football anywhere i think and there are very few guys who can do it. it took Rodri a while to figure it out he wasn't great when he first came in so he's had to grow into that role and 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 poor old Calvin Phillips, you know, the, the, whenever he's been put there, it's not looked very good at all. Uh, so I, I think maybe Kovacic is something you can try, but I think basically they don't have a proper replacement for him. And uh, but but I also think, obviously, I'm getting some questions about this because uh, our boy allen Holland has uh, picked a suboptimal time to have a mini goal drought, just for my own personal reasons. But but I do think. I think Kevin De Bruyne being away has a big impact on Alan Holland's uh, potency because there is still, even though they made it work last season, there is still almost like a bit of a a bit, of a, a bit of friction, let's say, a bit of creative friction and creative tension between how Guardiola wants his team to play ideally and what really works for Erling Haaland, right? You know, Guardiola believes in this very sort of quite patient build-up. You need so-and-so many passes to create the right structures and all this stuff. We've been through this. Whereas Haaland, of course, wants the ball played early and behind so he can use his pace to just kind of burn people. And I find that with Kevin De Bruyne, I think he's one of, if not the only player on this team who has the natural authority in that group to just go, I don't actually care what Pep wants me to do. <laughs> if, if, if Guardiola, if, if Holland has a chance to run at the defense, I'm going to put that ball a play it for him and see what happens. Like he will play, I think it was the Leipzig game, where actually uh, in the spring, where Guardiola had sent something in the buildup about how Uh, Kevin De Bruyne needed to do the simple things more often and not just go for these difficult balls and and, and just simplify things. And in the first half De Bruyne was just playing a ton of crossfield balls, (laughs) almost like demonstrably saying, no, I'm going to do this and and, and I, I really think that's part of the reason why Aling Holland has scored slightly fewer goals recently. I mean, he's still he's still the lead top scorer, I think. Still, I mean, he's he's still a ridiculous goal scoring machine. But that's one one in five now for him, isn't it? Which is fewer than usual.
1: Yeah, and it and I do feel like that is a huge disconnect. But one of the things that uh, I think is an interesting talking point from this game because the the game did seemingly flip uh, in terms of the slight level of who has control of this game at halftime, and and I don't know if a lot of people have talked about. The, the Kovacic situation mm. where he's sitting on a yellow. I don't, you mm. know, we don't need to talk about whether he's. No, should have gotten, we don't. Uh, you know, I need when, to get my bleeper out that's again. Right. Uh, you know, he, he was in a very dodgy situation with the referee yes. by halftime. And a lot of he people was. were talking about they need to take him off. And I'm like, that seems ridiculous. But I do think the impact of that situation is Kovacic now isn't suddenly the aggressive uber hardcore mm. pressing mm. guy and i begin mm. that to me felt like when the game changed a little bit along with the martinelli uh substitution because now uh you know uh, arsenal had a little bit better control of the ball I little i think and, and i think that's a byproduct of
0: Kovacic's situation with the referee i i think that's a very fair point i also think this was uh I'm more, more. You've made a very concise and good observation. I'm going to make a more uh, less interesting and more generic observation, which is, my God, Declan Rice was very good in this game. Yeah, I thought. fair. He was uh, absolutely fantastic. Both his ability to break up play and to just he has this thing, which he did a lot for West Ham. Uh, which is because they're such a counter-attacking team, but he has this burst of, of pace. He's not rapid, but he can take the ball and just kind of gallop into space away from people just a little bit too fast for people to keep up or people to shift sideways to intercept him. Like, he he moves really well with the ball, Declan Rice does. And uh, I, thought, I thought he was fantastic. I thought Jorginho did well to not get a second yellow. Uh, I was sitting there, I was watching, I was sat on the sofa watching this game, and when Jorginho picks up that first yellow after 11 minutes, you think, here we go, (laughs) this is going to, Arsenal's going to be down to 10 here at some point, Uh, but he managed not to get himself sent off, so that was good. And uh, yeah, the cavalry coming off the bench, uh, very, very, very positive for Arsenal, and just, uh, listen, I I find it hard to get too excited about this game, because it was a game in which two very good teams played not that well, and... Not too many chances were created, and in the end, one of them won after a shot that went off someone's face. But the thing is, it could be a result that you know has huge, huge ramifications for the way the title goes, and uh, it was really important for Arsenal to be able to tilt that in their favor. Uh, I, I have to assume all Arsenal fans are just loving the fact
1: that they won a game against City without Saka.
0: Uh, mm. which is yeah, I haven't even some, mentioned that. Yeah, of yeah, course. I mean, the fact job, that yeah. he didn't
1: play at all. Getting Martinelli... I mean, not having them to start the game seemed like uh, a predictive doom to begin with, but Martinelli coming into the game clearly was a vast improvement and made a big difference. My other observation about this game, Lars, in terms of it, you know, people keep talking about how it wasn't a good game or it had boring moments, and I I was, I found the situation with Raya continues to... Conf- <laughs> It to be interesting because there were moments where where City was pressing him so hard and then they kind of stopped and there was literally a moment. I think it was in the second half where City wasn't really pressing yet. They were kind of holding a mid block position and Raya took the ball to the top of the box and then the game stopped and it was so weird I literally thought my internet had frozen for about five <laughs> seconds or the video game had glitched. Did you I don't know yeah. if you noticed or picked up the on spinning
0: that. wheel of death. Yeah, it was
1: really, really strange how and this began my whole thought process about modern football that we can talk about here in a little bit about how the oddity of how much the game has changed in these uh, recent times um uh yeah it was, for sure it was just kind of a weird moment uh and 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 Arteta's insistence and in support of Raya kind of doing his thing almost got them killed uh right up, you know very early in the game with that bad situation with Alvarez chasing him down and almost knocking it in goal
0: yeah also interesting that I mean he's just dropped Ramsdale now hasn't he I mean this is I not guess. rotation what's happening I think Raya is just the number one now because if you're making a point that oh they have different strengths and we need the different things from different stuff i mean raya is he's apparently a bit better at claiming crosses in the box than ramsdale is but man city is not going to play a ton of crosses i mean this is not what they do uh and he hasn't looked super confident with his feet recently either raya he's, he does raise the pulse uh, a little bit when he does his things but uh, but there he is and <clears throat> i find it slightly odd I didn't think Ramsdale played himself out of that shirt last season. I mean, maybe he, he wasn't perfect, but yeah, there we are. Raya they seem to think he's a light upgrade.
1: Yeah, it, a very interesting uh decision to make that change and I'm I'm sure that'll play itself out play itself out more over the course of the season.
0: Um, yeah, but let's hop uh, let's hop along because you mentioned yeah. your big thought thing, which is uh, there's a game that's perfect for- for talking about that which took place on the uh, south coast where Liverpool visited Brighton Liverpool visited the Seagulls and I thought this was a deeply strange game because you had two teams of very high quality putting together some good moves here and there but the goals were mostly just accidents and calamities and nonsense and a set piece Uh, so so that was a bit weird (laughs) but it it was certainly a game where you were thinking you were sat thinking a lot wow these teams are really comfortable having the ball in deep into their own half, aren't they? I mean, sort of, the culture of getting rid of it has re- well and truly disappeared. It's funny to me how we now probably have a generation
1: of football fans who think this, uh, being warmly comfortable with having the ball in your own defending third for an incredible amount of time of the game mm-hmm. is totally normal. Mm. And and I'm looking forward to the day when tactics shift and change and trends kind of come back from the old ways where booting it long suddenly becomes in vogue and all of us old guys are like, yeah, this is the thing already. We used to do this all the time. We didn't just we didn't futz around with it in our own goal box for umpteen passes before we moved it upfield. This is how we used to do it.
0: Yeah, but that is a thing, like in business and in life. If everyone's pivoting one way, you can often find gains and a a surprise success by pivoting the other way, right? That is a thing. And uh, I I think we'll see that. But I think, and specifically, I think quite a good percentage of the people listening to this pod are still Norwegians, right? My OG Norwegian listeners out there from uh, Perkortela. We all grew up with Egil Olsen's Norway in the 90s when we were surprisingly successful on the international stage. And Egil Olsen was quite a revolutionary tactician. But, but at the heart of his view of football was the realization that where the ball is on the pitch is less important than who has it. I mean, he basically just figured... <laughs> No, no, no. But he believed this very strongly the the position of it is more important than who has it, you know, because if the opponent has it near their goal, you can win it back and then you're pretty close to their goal. So that's good. Whereas if you have it near your own goal, how are you going to get it forward? And you you could lose it yourself, which is very dangerous. So, So we had, it wasn't total hoofball. That is a bit of a myth, but we were a very direct team. Uh, that believed in getting the ball quickly as as soon as possible. And, and and this idea of passing it out from the back was just this is foolish. Why would you do this? I do wonder if Egil Olsen it's possible that we've gotten to a point where the skill level is higher than what he had anticipated would be possible. That, that these, these these players, even center halves, are now so good with the ball technically yeah. and, and so good at passing it that he basically just it didn't envisage a, a potential future in which these dudes would get that good at it. Uh, so that it would be a viable strategy. But it's so different from what I grew up with. And there is still this sort of thing in your spine that goes, no, you mustn't do this. You must kick it far away. Uh, but, you know, the teams that play like this are very, very successful. Yeah, and, it's, um, and it, but it's interesting,
1: Lars, is that as the last two or three seasons have happened, the teams that are committed to playing out of the back and breaking presses, his... Gotten exponentially more and more. I'm. Mean, it, 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 it's not like it's not like just the top six teams do this. Everybody, by and large, is doing it this way. And yeah. some of them are way better than others. And that now famous Twitter account of, play, the what is it called, danger of playing out of the back or whatever Yeah, it when, is. when playing out when, from the back goes when, wrong or something. Playing, yeah, yes. They have, they have
0: a lot of things to work with. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoy that
1: one. So much material uh, yeah. to, to be done. And, and, and to be fair, Arsenal almost was a victim of that the other day. Um, Absolutely. Uh, it, it's just funny to me how we watch this, and this seems to be the norm when... For the vast majority of my life, and it sounds like yours, getting it as far away from your goal as quickly as you could uh, was the standard, and it's not that way
0: anymore. That's exactly right. You say it's become the norm because it's not a question of like – the debate over whether you should press or not, like, is over. There's, like, pressing is what good teams do, uh, and the, and the debate is now more about like how well can you play through someone's press is like the next sort of uh, the next battleground here seems to be, and of course that is where Roberto Di and his Brighton team have typically been very very successful. And uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I find it hard to. I've watched this game, but I find it hard to talk about it because it was so strange in the way it was decided. It really was.
1: It was. <laughs> it was kind of an odd game, and and you know, Brighton. Uh, Brighton is coming off that weird midweek uh, European adventure they had to go through yep. and come back, coming back uh, from two down to tie the game. And
0: yeah, I do think that's something they're. Finding a little bit difficult. That's something De Zerbi has said. That it's a completely different sport now. They're effectively playing uh, every three days, and they've also had they've had a tough fixture list, man. I mean, if you look at the last sort of couple of months, they have played. They have a row now where they played West Ham, they played Newcastle, they played Man United, then they played away uh, or not, not away, but they played in the Europa League, then into the Bournemouth game. That was fine, but then they played Chelsea and Aston Villa. Then away in the Europa League, and then they play uh, Liverpool. So that's that. That is quite tricky when the club isn't used to that, and you have less time on the training ground to work on stuff. So, uh, we, perhaps we shouldn't be surprised that they've had a little bit of a of a setback. Uh, but I guess good news for them because next up is Manchester City, so that'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, I, I look. I, you know, I'm a big fan of Brighton, um,
1: and I thought, you know, getting the result that they got here is uh, a credit to them because they continue to play better than I think, or above their weight, punch above their weight. Mm-hmm, How about that? Mm-hmm, um, totally. Uh, and and coming back from you know a, a pair of solid goals and just the way the game played out, uh, and when you consider the starting lineup for Brighton, I mean, they just continue to. We talk about this all the time. Um, the number of kids. Then to me, yeah. they're just kids. Like uh, this Bielba g- uh, guy, the Cameroonian. Yeah. I, where yeah. did he come from?
0: Yeah, no, he he was news to me. I was not familiar with his work. I was familiar a little bit with the uh, Seaman Adingra uh, because he's sure. come through uh, Nocheland, the Danish club, who have this sort of extensive. Tie up with the the Right to Dream uh, Academy in in Ghana, uh, so they they bring in a lot of like Muhammad Kudus came through there as well, uh, so. so uh, at this point, anyone who does well for Nordsjælland in Denmark, you immediately look at it like, oh, that's probably someone who's going to be very good. But it's very typical that it's Brighton who pick up a young guy who's had uh, what, uh, he's had probably one good season in Denmark, and then they bring him in, send him on loan to Union Saint-Gilloise in Belgium for a year, and then they unleash him on the world. I mean, this player is uh, he is the Brighton template, pretty much, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. uh, and he looks and he looks very good. Uh, so yeah, they're they're remarkable in that sense. We touched on it now. This this philosophical thing, this everyone playing out from the back. Will someone else go in the other direction? And I present to you, Sir Sean of Dyche, who's who's Everton got a very very good win against Bournemouth, and and it's possible that I'm looking too hard at the numbers too early in the season here, and 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 I'm being a bit silly. But you know what? I kind of like what Sean Dyche is cooking. I, I I watched them play a few games now, where I think I it kind of makes sense what they're doing. They have a lot of the components for a good Sean Dyche outfit. And uh, yeah, I think Everton could be on the up a little bit here. All right. And I'm going to counter, I would uh,
1: counterpoint this. How much of this is Everton looking good and Areola's Bournemouth
0: just being a bit of a mess? Yeah, that's also possible. I think generally Everton in those games I referenced, they haven't been, I mean, they played, yeah, they haven't they played well against Brentford. That that's nice, but uh, yeah, uh, they lost at home Bournemouth to Luton. Lars, no, you're you're right. You're right. They did, and 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 Bournemouth, Bournemouth. I am I'm worried that I might have been right about them in my preseason sort of Bournemouth will will struggle type of thing, and and that's not necessarily a strike against Iraola, who seems to be a very exciting uh, coach and all of that. It's just that trying again, they were so bad last year, and and trying to turn one of the worst teams in the division who are very, very lucky to stay up, really, uh, into like this sort of high-pressing, attacking fun machine. It's just a very, very, very difficult thing to do. And um, I guess if we're looking for a silver lining for Bournemouth, it's that they've had a pretty difficult fixture list. Uh, I I I think they've in terms of if you uh, grade their opponents according to difficulty, I think they're one of the teams who have had a very challenging start to the season. So maybe they could be some once they're out of that, and if they stick with it, then maybe maybe the good times will come. But uh, there are just too many times where they seem too easy to play against, and and this was uh, this was meat and drink for Everton and Sean Dyche. I'm interested to keep an eye on the
1: Bournemouth situation because the decision to get rid of O'Neal and put in Ariola seemed odd at the time, but then got a lot of people excited because of uh, the new manager's background and his style, but that, mm. by and large, isn't working. But Foley, the American owner, as I've talked about with you before, is mm-hmm. pretty famous for not, being, not having a great amount of patience. Oh, and uh, and, you know, he he made quick work of winning the Stanley Cup, the the big N eight, the, the National Hockey League championship here in the United States in very short order with a brand new franchise in Las Vegas. And it mm-hmm. just it don't be surprised if Foley gets tired of this quickly and starts making changes uh, sooner than later. It would not surprise me at all.
0: Can I make a prediction then? Yeah. Now, I don't know if this will happen already in the national international break, but I just saw on social media very recently that the Sevilla manager has been fired.
1: I saw that too.
0: And I think if uh, Iriola was still at Rayo Vallecano, I think he would be a hot candidate to get the Sevilla job. So it might be that Maybe there will be a temptation there from everyone involved and say, okay, he's he's wanted to do this in England with this squad and it's so far not working. Mr. Foley is a little bit unsure about this whole thing. There is a very logical landing spot for him in in Spain that just opened up. Maybe it's time to go in a different direction. I feel like this, there's a lot of things that just kind of makes a little bit of sense to me, is, is, is all I'm saying. Speaking of American
1: owners, just to throw in one off the uh, off the cuff... Uh, you're aware that Birmingham has fired their manager, correct?
0: Yes, yes. They're going to bring in uh, Sir
1: Wayne O'Reilly. Yes, who just quit his job at DC United here in MLS. Don't forget Tom Brady, the NFL greatest of footballer of all time, is now one of the owners
0: of Birmingham yes. City. Yes, so. Birmingham City. That that was a very rogue move as well. But I wanted to talk about Everton because Sorry. I think I got you in track. this world of, of nippy, high-pressing technical guys, good old Sean Dyche is doing it his own way. And we now got the sort of Dominic Calvert-Lewin is, is healthy enough to start up front and is, is doing things. And, and I, you, I think you picked up on this before me, but the, the Ducuri role currently is a lot of fun. I'm a huge fan of turning Ducuri into basically a second striker, like having him just be this sort of rampaging character who gets into the box a lot and causes trouble. And then you have like really solid, hardworking guys in the midfield. I kind of like it, Peter. I think Everton... Uh, historically, whenever I say nice things about Everton, things go badly wrong for them. So if you're an Everton fan, this could be a bad sign. But I, I like it. I, I think this is fine. Uh, I, I I, don't think they'll get relegated. And then you have the big sort of medium-term concerns about the new owners coming in. But uh, this uh, this team is, uh, is decent. And this is where I want to throw in my mad stat of the week. Uh, try not to get too XG heavy. We're still early in the season. Just eight games in. Not a huge sample size. But... My, my beloved H- XG goal difference. The XG you've created minus the XG you've conceded. Yeah, guess where Everton are in the reckoning here. Yeah, I've seen it. It's shockingly way
1: higher than you think it
0: is. They're sixth. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> They've got to bet their underlying numbers are better than Tottenham's. And, and Brentford and Brighton and Villa and Manchester United. And West Ham, for that matter. Everton are like way the hell up there on on xg now that 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 might be false uh possibly they created like i said they created a lot against luton they've created a lot against bournemouth now they've created a lot against sheffield united okay against those opponents then then maybe that'll happen but i don't know man no, well, numbers numbers they don't lie
1: remember the chart that i we mentioned earlier that i sent you earlier today of chances created versus mm-hmm. chances conceded Everton is in yeah. the upper right quadrant with Liverpool, Tottenham, totally. Newcastle, City, Chelsea, and Arsenal.
0: Yeah. So I'm guessing that chart is based on XG as well. So it's a very similar thing. And again, uh, yes. I'm oh, conscious right. of the yeah. fact yeah. So that they've... just f- repeating what you just said. I'm, Sorry. No, no, that's fine. It's, it was just a better viz, except that's not super useful. For a podcast. podcast. But... <laughs> <laughs> but 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 i guess the point about this is it's possible that everton have kind of boosted those numbers by doing really well against some of the absolute worst teams in the division but i mean they're looking like a, they're looking more and more like a functional strong dice team uh and and that 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 should be fine that that'll that'll keep them up which is all they really need to do this season yeah
1: that would be that would probably play very well into the plans considering they've got that giant stadium under construction that would be, yeah oh my
0: days this is such a like Bobbling along, trying not to keep their yeah, trying desperately to keep their their little their little blue toffee heads above water. Um, I mentioned Tottenham here now, uh, who, who we must talk about because Tottenham are top of the league at this after eight games, and I don't think anyone saw that coming. Uh, it, it, it's quite yeah, When you uh, woke up this
1: morning, did you immediately go run and turn on your computer and look at the table and just
0: sit there and stare at the gloriousness of being <laughs> top of the I, table this this far into a not, season? When I woke up this morning, I, I regretted some of my life changes the night before, Peter. I can tell you that much. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to know what of, those are. Lars. It was that kind of a morning for me, sir. <laughs> okay. uh, but no, so I did not immediately check the Premier League uh, table. But uh, <laughs> but no, it is exciting, and it's. I'm, I'm very conscious. I don't don't want to wet blanket this too much. But like I've already touched on, the underlying numbers are not that good. Uh, but but it's so important, I think, for this Arshpustakoglu uh, project to get off on a good start, so everyone gets buy in. Uh, I I was at the Liverpool game. Uh, the vibe in the stadium was so positive. Uh, so it's it it's great. After a couple of years of just absolute misery, the, that uh, the fans are happy, I think, is is tremendous. And we're all expecting some kind of reversal here. That uh, they'll come up against opponents who take their chances, and you know the luck will run out. But. There's also an extent to which you make your own luck with these things. There seems to be a lot of belief in the squad, and I think that matters a lot. Um, as a complete tangent, this isn't a huge factor, but it's so comfortable watching having a really f- having really fast center halves is a great thing. Like when you're in the stadium, because there are so many like dangerous situations where you think, "Oh no, this could be a bit bad." But then you've got Mickey Van Der Veen, who just nice. kind of gets his legs going, and he just eats up the ground, and suddenly he's there. You know, what, what, what a guy. Uh yeah, I enjoyed watching
1: this uh game, although I spent the majority of the match trying to figure out the proper uh name for the color of that new third kit that Spurs wears. Oh. I I like I wish I understood color theory well enough to be able to like, describe that color in some sort of accurate manner. I it's, it's the most boring weird. I know the official name is topes is that what it's called yes but that doesn't even seem to begin to describe it I it, I don't know it's just kind of dirty dishwater
0: yeah grey with a hint of beige it's really uh, it's dishwater that's yeah. exactly what it is it's very very dry. classy very yeah. classy uh, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about this I did spend a lot of time thinking about the sort of the mental faculties of Yves Bissouma, uh who <laughs> maybe, I think will not maybe the, maybe the kit confused him or <laughs> yeah will not be accepted into Mensa anytime soon uh, and it was such a strange game because in the first half obviously Tottenham should have scored a couple of goals they didn't and then they get a red card and suddenly it becomes a whole nother thing but I do think they showed some resilience that hasn't always been there before I think I, I, I've spoken about Van de Veen and his speed I mean Romero uh, being being less crazy and a more mature player at the back there, and not just constantly kicking people for no reason. I think that helps a lot. So I think in them too, you've got a properly good center half pairing. I wonder going forward. I think taking Bazuma out of the team is, is is going to be a blow. You, he's been very very useful in that midfield, and I think squad depth, generally speaking, is going to be an issue as the season goes on. But you know, can top I ask of the league in it? Can top I ask? The league. I want to talk about the Basuma second yellow for a second.
1: Mm-hmm. i i can't I still can't figure out what he thought he was about to get away with you thought he he thought he was going to get fouled well but okay, so I didn't know if maybe he he did that because he thought he got touched enough to justify kicking up his leg and falling down no there was you think one he angle he actually thought he was going he he thought the foul was coming so he let yeah himself yeah go. so okay. there was
0: one angle that showed it a lot better there's a fellow coming in slightly from the side who he thinks he's going to foul him but it was uh, might have been Nakamba I'm not totally sure it was one of the Luton players who was coming in out of his sort of peripheral vision and he probably thought he's going to take me out here uh, so he started basically started going down, which is something players do because partially to draw attention to the foul, but also because they don 't want to get hit with their legs planted right so you, right. You, if you think you 're going to get hit, you do want to not have weight on your feet because you 're much more likely to get injured so players do sort of you can call it simulation and diving if you want, but a lot of them will like aid in the process of going to ground, and it has a dual purpose. It uh, it helps fool the referee or bring the referee's attention to it if you want to be more diplomatic, and it, it's, you're less likely to get injured. So it's something players do. But when the player coming in that you think is about to foul you <laughs> holds back and does not foul you, yeah. then you end up looking very stupid and, and you get a red card Well, well in this case,
1: For Spurs to have held off and won that game despite being a man down and and just beginning to get the sense that maybe the... The curse of being Spursy has somewhat lifted from this. Just just remember that <laughs> th- this morning, despite the fact that they finally beat City, Arsenal woke up this morning still in second place behind Spurs.
0: Maybe yeah. things
1: really have changed, Lars. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll, we'll see. I think that I'm, I'm enough of a... I'm enough of a pessimist oh, and a nerd no. that I'm looking at these, these XG numbers thinking, huh, Wait. better not get carried away here. But the thing about XG numbers is, they only mean, okay, with Tottenham's numbers being what they are right now, what that tells us is, if they keep playing the way they are, the results will get worse. But of course, they might get they might start playing better. <laughs> this could just be a phase where they've kind of gotten away with it a little bit, and uh, they they might improve, which is a rational thing to expect, and that the the numbers will catch up with the results, and not the other way
1: around. All right, I'm going to contrast myself by by making sure everybody also knows at the same time that Tottenham has played by far the easiest schedule of the season. So yeah, far. That, that, yeah,
0: that scans. That scans. That scans. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy the moment, and not get <laughs> carried away, and just kind of appreciate the fact that again. Tottenham are playing fun football. They're led by someone who's a good man, and I'm it was, seems to be a good man, certainly, and I'm uh, very happy with that.
1: Uh, can I share some insight from a personal friend from Luton who lives here in yeah. the Dallas area? Because yeah. on the radio show here in Dallas over the weekend, um, I was talking about how I felt bad for Luton um, because, you know, it, Luton's such a good story. Right, mm-hmm. like we all love the Luton story. I, I, most people do, or whatever. I don't. I don't really know how that works over there. But uh, it's a feel-good story. <laughs> and I, I said on the radio, yeah. I felt bad for Luton, and and my friend Dan Crook from Luton, uh, told me back. He wrote me back, said, "Don't feel bad for us. Our new ground is effectively paid for. We got a bunch of upgrades mm-hmm. on the old girl, and have at least two future years of strong revenue while still maintaining our fantastic supporter owner-led ownership." And we're still outside the relegation zone. Gabori yeah. leads the league and crosses into the box. Marvelous in tackles. Morris and aerials one. Thomas Kaminsky is second in progressive passing yards. Dowdy is, uh, is fourth in key passes. Get the finishing right and maybe add another center back. And we're cooking. So there is your positive outlook from a hatter
0: directly from the source. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not bottom. I I think if you're Luton and you look at this and say, obviously, it's been a tough start to the season. It was always going to be a pretty, you know, brutal uh, welcome to the Premier League experience for them. But they're definitely not the worst team in the league. And, and they don't look like the second worst team in the league either. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think there's every chance they could, uh, you know, they could build on this. They've had several games so far where they've been very close to getting results. And uh, I'm not, you know, I did. That was my big preseason prediction. I predict I would predict the Luton to not go down, and I'm I'm still feeling okay about that. I think they have a chance.
1: I've watched them so many times, and I'm just so curious how they're ever going to actually score a goal because that's the one thing <laughs> they just don't seem. Set to be pieces, my of. friend. <laughs> Set <I> pieces. <laughs> that f- that one where the guy had the opportunity. Abbiato, uh, um, adebayo, yeah. adebayo who had the just like all he had yeah. to do is just like blow on it, and it was
0: going to go, and he yeah. missed. It just felt that like great Luton's no, but the, the season this, in
1: a nutshell, right there.
0: You, you said, but the, you know, listen, the striker Morris is not a terrible finisher. More, more, Carlton Morris is a decent no, player up yeah. there, but uh, you know, I, I I believe in Luton still. I I do. I man, I can't wait. I've got I've got to get over to uh,
1: London sooner than later. I gotta go to a game at that place before they're done with it.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, the clock is ticking for, for Kenilworth Road, so try to, let's try to make that happen. Um, the last thing I wrote, because this, again, dear listener, because you might remember I completely threw Peter under the bus previously when we did this and gave no prep. This time I sent over like a couple of things. Let's, let's talk about this, let's talk about that. And I think the last thing that we haven't been onto that I wanted to mention was, I've written here, Chelsea getting better, but scary fixture list looms. Yeah. You know, cr- crouching Chelsea, hidden fixture list. Is uh, is what's happening there? Because that was a decent win for them away to Burnley, which uh, which I had as a as a thing I, red- I red- predicted in the betting. Well, I, this weekend, we also I think when you did the radio
1: show last week, I think it was mm-hmm. we talked about this the fact that Chelsea had two pretty good opportunities to kind of get cooking between yeah. this week's game and the prior game, and now they've won those two games, but this is where. It gets really sticky. I mean, when they get back from the international break, all hell breaks loose in the schedule for them for the upcoming, what is it, five fixtures, is it?
0: Yeah, they've got a League Cup match against Blackburn. That should be pretty smooth sailing. But they've got first Arsenal, then Brentford, then that League Cup match. But then they play Tottenham, Manchester City, Newcastle, Brighton, Manchester United. And then they go away to Everton, and again... Me liking what Sean Dyche is cooking, not necessarily that easy going to Goodison if this keeps, you know, the if this keeps working, what Sean Dyche is doing. Maybe I'm being very optimistic on Everton's behalf here, but the point is, until like early December, it's looking all kinds of bad for, for Chelsea, so uh, important for them to have two sort of morale-boosting wins, I suppose, against Fulham and, and Burnley. But more to the point, the team just kind of looked better in, in those games as well. You can see it coming together a little bit. Sterling had a really good game. He...
1: Uh, one of the best performances from him that we've seen in quite some time. He really kind of just took ownership of the game, which I think is something Chelsea needs out of a veteran mm-hmm. player with all of that kind of youthful inexperience out there that are all trying to figure each other out. Uh, it probably helps a lot to have somebody like Sterling just go, okay, all right, I'll do it.
0: Yeah, he's the – he's the. I mean, this feels like a weird thing, so I'm going to make myself feel old now, but it feels like a weird thing to say about Raheem Sterling. He's the second oldest player on the field. Yeah. Yeah, and and one of like, they they have on this lineup they had what two outfielders uh, over twenty five or something crazy like that. So uh, yeah, Kukurea uh, has twenty five actually, but uh, definitely you need those guys to step up, and that's always been the concern. Good for Nico, Nico Jacksons to get a, to get a goal. So I'm kind of I don't hate this Chelsea team. I maintain this. I get all the concerns about the balance, but I think a lot of these young players are really really good, and if Pochettino can really get his claws into him and, and push them on. I think Chelsea are in a in a there are some comparisons between the position Chelsea are in and the position Tottenham were in when Pochettino took over. The way the squads have been assembled are of course completely different. Uh but uh but there is a, a sort of a, a group of young players there who who should ideally maybe have better experienced players around them. But it is what it is, and I, I think I, I believe I believe in this Chelsea team, uh, and then we'll see what how I feel about that call when they have played all these very good <laughs> opponents. I, I might look very stupid a month from now. We'll check back <laughs> at the beginning of December. Yeah.
1: Uh, the other thing that we should mention which I want to talk about with you quickly is we were just talking about Luton and kind mm. of having this weird sense that Luton's going to be okay. But when you juxtapose that with Burnley of all clubs, yeah. It's weird considering how Burnley just kind of bullied through the championship last year. And, yes, they beat Luton the other day, you know, what was it, a week or so ago. Very tight game, though. A very, very tight, tight game. game. Uh, but they won that. If you were to kind of compare those two promoted team seasons, I, Burnley's the one to me that I think is the one you have to worry about a little bit because of the way that, that they have chosen to play their game. like It's like, uh, it's like Norwich version 2.0.
0: Yeah, no, they're having the Norwich problem. I completely agree. They're trying to play in a quite attacking, and positive manner, and they're they're too easily uh, unpicked by opponents. It might be that they pick up enough teams against the other enough points against the other bottom clubs to be okay. But I'm concerned, and they've also sort of low key spent a lot of money. I think mean, I think their net spend this money was like a hundred million. Uh, they 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 spent money this summer mostly on young players, so it's, mm-hmm. you know, guys for the future. Probably not on huge salaries. So there's a plan there but uh, yeah it's, it's it's not looking amazing for 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 burnley so far also looking real bad uh for sheffield united who who are just really really bad but we we knew that looking at their squad i mean they were not that impressive going up and then they lost a couple of their most important players and uh, obviously uh, thoughts and prayers uh with chris basham yeah uh, for, uh, for 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 yeah you, that have you written uh, your that...
1: letter of support to chris and offered to come sit bedside with him and tell him yeah, tales no, of, of, of course. recovery
0: being yeah being completely self-obsessed as i am uh, my immediate thought looking at that was well that looks familiar <laughs> uh, i haven't seen the sort of official diagnosis but that looks like more or less exactly what happened to my leg yes um it was funny I, I think, because you were the yeah.
1: one by the way i got exposed to that uh, that piece of photography via you yeah, involuntarily, sorry. where I sorry, was like, sorry, sorry. Wait a second, is the only thing keeping his foot anywhere near the rest of his body is that it's in the same sock as his leg is in? Yeah, that was an awful yeah, photograph.
0: Think, yeah, I think this is the difference. Looking at that photo, I think that that was probably a compound fracture under the sock, wasn't it? That looked yeah. like there's some, oh. some bone poking out, which, uh, which thank god I did not have. I was told, I was actually told. Fun fact, uh, dear listeners: I was told by my surgeon that actually me being slightly overweight uh, probably saved me from a compound fracture because I had kind of chubby ankles, so there was enough wiggle room in there for the <laughs> <laughs> to keep it all internal. Your ankle <laughs> saved yeah. you. you. You know what's weird op-
1: about the Basham injury is—is is that I, am I correct in saying that that was a non-contact break?
0: Yeah, yeah. That is. But this again. But- but that, again, is what my surgeon told me. was that Because, again, I was convinced that I did this to myself because I'm heavier than I should be. And he was like, no, 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 it's just your joints are... No, your 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 bones are really good if they do exactly what they're meant to do. But the second you start, like, subjecting them to pressure at the exact sort of wrong angle and stuff, they can break a lot faster than people realize. Uh, so it's, it, it must have been a complete sort of freak of... Uh, yeah, maybe there was some, like... Um, I, 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 have, I obviously haven't seen Chris Basham's x-rays so I don't know exactly so I don't want to speculate but these things they, these slightly freakish injuries can happen yeah the uh, human ankle and foot especially when
1: it's used in the uh, way that it is with footballers is pretty much a miracle yeah
0: yeah so I will say, uh, uh, at, at least Chris Basham didn't have to actually make his own way to the door. So that was. No, I feel like the <laughs> oh come Tim, on, t- with Tim reem in this case played the role of the postman who came to help him out. So and you was, didn't have nice. oxygen either, did you? I no, they did, they did. They gave me oxygen. Yeah. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah, uh, morphine and oxygen, straight, up, pretty much straight. Not away. as
1: quickly as Basham got it, though.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. I had to wait for the for the ambulances. But yeah, I honestly have no idea how long I was waiting. I was pretty zonked out on adrenaline at the time. Maybe they were there very quickly. Was who there knows? a large
1: Group of observers applauding you as you went into the there ambulance. There was not. There mm-hmm. was
0: actually. Uh, there was uh, t- t- two passers-by who sort of just walked straight past the. <laughs> front door and just sort of looked at this strange man who was lying in the entrance to a door in the street in London. And they didn't decided, stop well, this... and politely no, applaud no, 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 you no, no, as you no, got loaded no, into the they truck? Just kind of... No, they just looked at me and decided this is definitely not a me problem and just kind of walked on, which was uh, the neighborly spirit of, of London uh, of London is uh, is quite something. Oh. But yeah, uh, hopefully hopefully Chris Basham uh, will, be, will be back. I mean, he's not a young player, so this is obviously very tough for him, but he's a center half and sometimes they have... Uh, you know, the, sometimes they come back. Who knows? But yeah. He should Sheffield look United, to you for inspiration, Lars. Look how good you are because, these days. No, well, yes. But actually, I think a professional athlete will probably recover from this a little bit quicker than I did. Okay. Uh, but Sheffield United, not great at football. I, I think it's uh, unfortunately for them safe to say at this point. Sheffield United is the Krish Basham ankle of the Premier League. Oh, that's, Which, <laughs> that's brutal. Oh, my God. I, it's, it's funny with you, Peter, because you're very often like kind of placid and sweet and sort of middle down the road and then you occasionally go like really far like almost across the line with certain things like that's really harsh
1: you can can cut that out
0: no no it's it's staying in i i I want the listeners to get to know this sort of very idiosyncratic part of your personality i'm just having a good time with my buddy lars exactly right i did tell you before the recording that what i want this podcast to be is as close to our uh, just casual conversations without the libelous parts in it, and uh, that is what it has descended into. So, uh, good mission achieved, mission accomplished, uh, Pedro. You've done isn't very it what well. the, Isn't it what everybody says over there? It's just banter. It's just banter. Is what it is. Okay. It's all aboard the banter bus. Okay. Is there anything we've missed from the weekend? Uh,
1: well, we were really going to have a whole conversation about. I thought. And no, the, we're, uh, we were going to replay on. the audio. So now from... I have
0: to get the bleep <laughs> sound effect on. I forgot where I stored that. And discuss I don't, law I don't, 18. I don't, I, I don't have a, I don't have a soundboard. <laughs> I just have to manually edit in a bleep sound into the recording and then i had to fix the audio levels first time i put the bleep in the bleep was way too loud so i would have caused like brain damage to the listeners when it, oh, when the bleep I'm came up. So I'm gonna have to put that in now fine thanks a lot for that sorry resort the pod, the pod, the pod will be later than it needed to be just because i now have to figure out how to put the bleep in uh i guess we leave it there i mean there's not because it's international Week, so i usually again tend to have a betting part at the end but with the international football, I find that very challenging. We might do a betting column for the international games. So I'm just going to see if I can buy myself some. How did you do this week? By the myse- week, by the way. By the way. Uh, uh, did did well? The the yeah. boost treble landed for the second weekend in a row. So uh, we we've we've done pretty. What well, well, what what was the word for that? The uh, the parlay is what you guys call it. Uh, yes, I believe that, that's the that's term. the American word. Yeah, for like a treble. Yeah, no the 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 boosted treble uh landed i had uh i had chelsea to beat burnley i had everton to beat bournemouth and i had both teams to score in west ham newcastle uh, and that was all very good uh and i actually had as a long shot for the single i had newcastle to win and both teams to score at a pretty chunky price as a single uh, which almost landed so that was a bit frustrating but you know with the single landing i'm very happy with the weekend and it so with the treble landing i'm happy with the weekend and it was the second weekend in a row uh where the treble landed so we're on a hat trick hopefully we can we can get the third in a row uh, when uh, the club football is back. I think that's the end of it. Thank you so much for, uh, for spending uh, for, for, for spending more time with me Peter. I've enjoyed it. I hope the listeners uh, have as well and the pod will be back now hopefully regularly this time uh, I think. let's let's see how that works out. Bye good listeners.